Mind Monsters. Kicking off this series today, looking at those things in our minds that sometimes it seems like they just wage war with us. Looking at how do we approach these as followers of Jesus? How do we engage in battle? Welcome to Mind Monsters. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Radiant Life. Glad you could be with us as we kick off this series. And our, 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 our basic premise all throughout this series is going to be this idea that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. That there is this mind-body, mind-spirit, mind-soul connection that is critical. That there's a reason when Paul, when he's telling us about the transformation in our lives that happens, he says, you'll be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And in Mind Monsters, we want to we wanna start to unpack some of these things. And, and there could be any number of Mind Monsters, fear, depression, anxiety, worry, confusion, perfectionism, false expectations. The list could go on and on. And there are times where it really feels like those things are at war with us. That we are in the middle of a battle. Maybe you've been through seasons where you've wrestled with that, where you've been in that battle. Maybe you're in a season right now, or you have a friend or a family member who has walked through that. Mind monsters. And it can be a battle. But we want to remember, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We want to make sure we talk about these, this warfare and we don't want to ignore the spiritual component. Sometimes in discussions about these things, right, when we talk about the mind, sometimes you can get people that, that, that swing to, to one extreme or the other on the, on the one end of the spectrum you have people that say, oh, all of these things in your mind, this is, this is, this is physiological. It's psycho, you know, maybe you, it's, it's a, a, a neurotransmitter thing, right? It's all just, all the physiology happening right now. And, and that's all it is. Or it's just the, just the psychology piece. And then you've got people on the other extreme that say, well, well this is just a, a, a spiritual thing, right? Well, you, you know, you need, to, you need to, you know, cast out those demons like right now. And when we talk about the question, like, is it, is it physiological? Is it spiritual? Is it psychological? The answer is yes. So over the course of this series, we want to try to take a, a, a balanced approach to how we navigate these things, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. How do we walk through something like depression? How do we walk through something like crippling anxiety? How do you navigate that, either for yourself or for a family member or a friend? Because I want, to, I want to suggest to you this morning, and we just sang a song a few minutes ago that, that, that ties into this, right? That, that there is victory. We can have victory over the things 
that we are at war with, but sometimes it looks a little bit unconventional. Paul says these, our weapons have divine power. We cannot leave God out of the mix. So we're going to dig into that in Mind Monsters. And today I want to talk about a couple of tactics that these mind monsters seem to use in battle. Now, I am, I am not a battle expert. I've never been a soldier. I have the utmost respect for those that have served in our military. If, if that's you today, uh, I want to say thank you. But I, I, I've never been a soldier. I've never, I've never helped plan great battles in fact, I'm probably a terrible person to give you, give you battle advice. I used to play paintball. Do we have any paintballers? And they're, no, like nobody? Okay, we got, okay, we got, whew. So if you're not familiar, paintball, right? You load up balls of paint into guns and you go around and you blast the snot out of your friends. That's the, that's the basic idea. And I would play with guys. We played in the woods. And I had friends, they'd get head-to-toe camo, They've got face paint on. They're like checking their makeup in the mirror like, uh, okay, no skin showing. And then they would like crawl through the bushes, you know, just hoping to get one, you know, critical shot off in the game. That was their approach to battle. My, I knew I'm not sneaky. I just, I own the fact that I'm not sneaky. So my battle strategy in paintball was I would dress in all hunter orange and I would run through the woods screaming, just spraying paintballs everywhere. So, so battle strategy <laughs> might not be, you know, my, my prime gifting. Just, I want to give you that disclaimer this morning. However, I've watched a, a pretty good number of movies you know that, <laughs> so I think I've got a little bit of room to talk, you know, on this topic. In most of the movies that I've seen involving battle, it seems like one side is always trying to figure out, hey, all we got to do, right, all we got to do is we've got to cut them off. We got to cut them off from the rest of their side. We've got to cut them off from their supplies. We've got to cut them off from communication. In the same way, as we are in the midst of battle with these mind monsters, right, with these things that would drag us down if we let them, there can be this growing sense of isolation. That as you're in the middle of it, you, you think to yourself and you start to have this conversation, you think, man, I don't think anybody else knows what I'm going through. I don't, man, nobody gets it. I can't talk about this with anybody. They wouldn't understand. And maybe you start to, to actually pull back. Things that you used to do to interact with people say, no, you know, I'm, I'm gonna kind of pull out of that. I can't say anything about this. Man, what are people gonna think? Are they gonna think there's something wrong with me? Are they gonna judge me? What's gonna happen? I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna start to pull back. And there's this, this sense of isolation, this sense that you are cut off and alone. Well, when it comes to that tactic, and, and, and forgive me if this is overly simplistic, right? But in the middle of battle, when you have this overwhelming sense 
of I am alone in whatever you're experiencing, your counterattack to that is to remember you are not alone. I hope the next time you're wrestling with this and you have that overwhelming sense, you hear some annoying bald guy's voice echoing in your mind, telling you, you are not alone. And I mean this in a couple of different ways. The first way is this. You are not alone in your experience. Now, JB asked a few minutes ago about, hey, you know, who's, man, who's wrestled with fear? Right? If we were to ask this morning for a show of hands on, hey, who's, who's walked through depression? Who's walked through anxiety? Who's had fear, worry, confusion? Who's, who's battled with things like perfectionism and just, just never being able to achieve some standard? Right? If, if we asked for a show of hands and you looked around, you might be surprised and say, wow, okay, I guess I'm, I'm not the only one that, that wrestles with some of these things. And in a minute, we're going to take a little bit of a tour through Scripture. Because in our culture at large, although I, I do think there's, there's been a lot of improvement, but there can be a stigma regarding some of these things. You talk about mental health, and people get, eh, I don't know about you, you're that, you're that guy with fill in the blank. Right? And there, and there can be this stigma. And unfortunately, within the church, some, maybe, it's, maybe it's even been a little bit worse over the years. To where if you, if maybe you've had an experience where you've gone to somebody in your church, maybe you've gone to a pastor or, some, or a trusted person in your church, and you said, man, hey, I am really struggling with depression. I mean, I'm really struggling with anxiety. And they gave you what is probably well-meaning but unhelpful advice, like, well, you just need to pray more. Or if you just had more faith, you'd be able to come out on the other side of this and, and you would, this wouldn't be an issue. Now, don't get me wrong. Can prayer be a crucial piece of this? Yes. But maybe that's, and you, and you say, that's, that's not helpful. When you're in the middle of battle and the answer is, oh, well, you just don't pray more or you just don't have enough faith, that is not helpful And sometimes within the church, we, we, we approach it that way, right? Because we've, we've built up this idea that, well, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have to have everything together, right? And if I'm, if I'm wrestling with something like depression or anxiety or, well, then I definitely don't have it all together. What are people going to think of me? They're going to think, oh, man, he doesn't have enough faith. Or, man, he, he must not have a very good devotional life or he wouldn't be struggling with this. But as we're going to see here in Scripture, it's pretty transparent about the raw, real emotions that godly, powerful people experienced. And it wasn't an issue of, oh, well, they just, they don't pray enough or they don't have enough faith. We're going to start with a guy named Job. Anybody ever hear of Job? This is not a book in the Bible that you read if you're like, you know what, I want a nice, uplifting you know, devotional time, think I'm going to hang out in Job for a while. Because Job, it starts out great. It starts out great. You've got this guy named Job, and God actually, he, he kind of brags 
about Job to the devil. I want you to think about that. How many of you think like you're so you're so stinking good that God is probably bragging on you to the devil? Like, have you seen my servant Galen? Homeboy is spot on. All right. I don't He might do that. You're a pretty cool guy. So I mean, I mean. So I say that to, to set this up in that. Job is not some terrible human being who just made a boatload of bad decisions. Lots of bad things happened to Job. And in Job chapter 30, we kind of get a, a, a view of where he was at mentally and emotionally. He writes this, And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. We also see, right, I I talk about some unhelpful responses, right, Throughout the book of Job, it's Job having this conversation with three or four of his friends. And and his friends, probably well-meaning, they give him some of that advice. They're like, well, Job, if you weren't such a sinful scumbag, right, Lord probably wouldn't have done this to you. Thanks, Bob. You know what I mean? I mean, come on. So he's got these friends, right, and, and they're trying to help. Like, man, Job, like if you would just, you know, If you would get your act together, I'm I'm sure God would take you out of this. But Job is to this point where he says, where is God? Not only is is God absent, but it seems like God is working against me. Gnawing pain day and night. Have you ever been there? Where you just feel like it's constant, constant, constant. And you feel like God's not there. He is not answering. You're like, where are you, Lord? In the book of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a woman named Hannah. Hannah was one of two wives for a guy named Elkanah. And what we know about Hannah is she was unable to have children, which can be a, a pretty heavy issue to walk through now. In this culture, if you were unable to have children as a woman, they viewed that, that God had turned his back on you, that you, were, that you were cursed. And your culture where, you know, for the most part, pretty much the only thing women had to offer was children, your culture didn't think very highly of you either. So you have this woman who's unable to have children. And one day, she goes to the temple and she is praying. She is just burying her soul before God. Just out of the depths of her being, expressing her sorrow at not being able to have kids. And we see another unhelpful response from a church person. The priest comes up to her and he says, Woman, are you drunk? (laughs) How would you feel like that? The next time you're struggling with something, you go to a friend or you come to one of us pastors and you're like, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. And we're like, what have you been drinking? Right? I mean, come on. 
And she says, I'm not drunk. She says, I am, I am, I'm so full of sorrow, I can't keep it in. The circumstances in her life brought her to this place where she just can't keep it in. She is overwhelmed with sorrow. There's another guy, maybe you've heard of him in scripture. His name is David. Right? If you grew up in if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you probably heard about David and Goliath, right? We think of David as this mighty warrior king, right? The underdog who like, he sticks it to the man, right? He's like, oh, David, yeah, I want to be David, yeah. Scripture tells us he's a man after God's own heart. But sometimes we don't pay attention to the fact that David in several of the songs and poems that he wrote shows a little bit different of a side, a little bit more vulnerable side. He writes this in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David says, man, I am, day after day, I am wrestling with my thoughts. I am at war with these things in my mind, and I have so much sorrow. It feels like God has turned his back on me, and the only people around me are against me, and they're just waiting for me to die so they can rejoice about it. Talk about a bad day. But maybe you've been there. You feel like God's back is to you. You feel like everyone around you is against you. You feel alone, isolated, cut off. There's a great prophet in Israel by the name of Elijah. Elijah had a literal mountaintop experience where he's up on a mountain and God shows up in a huge way and works through Elijah to turn the nation of Israel back to God. Well, the queen of Israel wasn't very happy about it, so she threatens Elijah's life. And she says, hey, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And Elijah, coming off of this huge moment where fire comes down from heaven, Elijah's like, whoo, he hikes up his robes, flees into the wilderness, lays down under a bush and says, Lord, kill me. He just saw God move in this incredible way. But then he hears this threat against him and he gives into fear and anxiety and he runs away and, 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 and really is experiencing what we would we'd probably call suicidality. He just, he wants to die. He wants his life to be over. Lord, kill me. The great prophet of Israel. We also see some pretty raw emotions from Jesus. At one point, a friend of Jesus dies, and we have what is the shortest verse in the Bible. So if, you've ever, if you're ever like, man, I can't memorize scripture, I bet you could do this one, right? Jesus wept. In fact, I bet you guys could all memorize it right now. What's that verse? You guys are awesome. You just memorized the Bible verse today. Pastor Ryan taught about this, right? Not, not too long ago. But the idea that this isn't just like a little, oh, it's a bummer, Lazarus died. 
This is a violent, convulsive weeping born out of deep, deep sorrow. And we see Jesus display that type of emotion. Shortly before his crucifixion, Jesus goes to three of his closest disciples and he says, man, I need you guys to pray with me. I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. If you are here this morning and you would say, man, I don't think anyone gets what I'm going through. Man, I don't think, I don't think this is something that I should have to deal with. Man, man does this mean I'm not like a, a, a godly person? No. We see throughout Scripture this raw, real emotion. And godly, powerful people, you are not alone. But I also say this in the sense that you have a community here to love and support and encourage you. And I'll tell you what, after, after this message, right, if you, if you ever go to somebody, right, from Radiant Life, and you're like, man, here's what I'm wrestling with, and they say something like, you just got to pray more, or you don't have enough faith, you smack them, and you tell them I said you could. Okay? That's what <laughs> Cut that out. But you have a community here for support and encouragement. It's one of the things that we push, right? You've, we've been talking for the last month about life groups. And it's not just because we have a bunch of really cool people that are going to lead a bunch of really cool groups. It's because we need community. When we have community, right, we, we, we are not alone. In fact, Pastor Brandon told me yesterday, he's like, hey, I'm going to leave up. There are a few groups that start this week. One of them starts tonight. Some of them start this week. He left those signups up. Man, if you haven't had a chance to sign up for a life group, get plugged in to community. You are not alone. Sometimes we've got to take that, take that step to get plugged in. So tactic number one that these mind monsters use is they say, man, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to get them isolated. The second tactic I want to talk about briefly this morning is this idea that as you are in the midst of battle, sometimes we get to this place where we start to believe that there is no hope. That the season you are in right now is never going to end. That things will always be like this. I want to tell you this morning, and again, maybe it's overly simplistic, but it's true. There is always hope. David, we talked about him a few minutes ago, right? He write, wrote that in, in Psalm 13 about, well, man, Lord, where are you? Like, what is going on? You're against me. My enemies are against me, just waiting for me to die so they can rejoice. But here's how he ends that psalm. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. He says, even in the middle of this time where it feels like, and where my, my thoughts, again, he says, day after day, I wrestle with my thoughts. Even in the middle of that, when it seems like God isn't there, 
I know he is. I know I can have hope. My heart rejoices. I will sing the Lord's praise. He's been good to me. There is always hope. It's a pastor named John Mark Comer. And he wrote a book called My Name is Hope, documenting his journey as a, as a follower of Jesus through depression and anxiety. And this quote is taken from that book. It says, no matter what fight, war, dysfunction, pain, sorrow, tragedy, struggles you are up against, there's always a way out. When you sink deep into your hell, when you feel like the end is right around the corner, when you think there's no way out, when you feel like there is no hope, God is there, right at your side. He is faithful to hear your whispers for help, and he will show you the path of life. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, referencing God, I will ask the Father to send you another advocate, and he will never leave you. That advocate is the Holy Spirit. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and he will guide you to those paths of life. There is always hope. So as you feel that sense of isolation, as you feel that sense of hopelessness, Hang on to the goodness of God, even when it seems like he is far away. But I want to have two brief conversations. The first conversation is for those, of you, those this morning that are in the middle of it. You would say, man, I'm, I'm in the thick of battle right now. Whatever your mind monster might be, you feel like you are in the thick of battle. Again, the list is much longer than just depression and anxiety. It could be any number of things. You'd say, that's where I am right now. I feel like I'm losing the battle in my mind this morning. My encouragement to you this morning is you got to reach out. It sounds easy. I know that it's harder to do. It takes being vulnerable. It takes being transparent about saying, hey, this is really where I'm at. It means risking people giving you really bad responses. There might be people that respond poorly. I can't promise you everybody in the world, although if they're from radio life and they give you a bad response, what are you going to do? Smack them. Yeah! You smack them! <laughs> you write it down October 6, 2019, Pastor Josh, and I can smack you for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, it's a little delayed, I don't know. <laughs> It takes risk. But if you are in the middle of it, reach out. Whatever your mind monster may be, reach out. Maybe it means you, 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 you grab that friend and you say, man, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with. Maybe it means you get, you get plugged into a life group, a spot where you're going to be able to like process through some of what's going on. Whatever that looks like for you, reach out. If you're not in the middle of it, right? If you're, if you're somebody who say, yeah, I think I'm, everything's going pretty good right now. The call to you this morning is to reach in. That when that friend or that family member, you ask them, hey, how's it going? 
And they're like, oh, it's fine. But you know it's not fine. Don't keep walking. You say, hey, what's, what's going on? We got to go grab some tacos and talk about this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm here all morning. I'm here all morning. <laughs> but you have to be intentional. And, for, and for, for those of us that aren't in the middle of it, right, sometimes this can be difficult because it means we may have to set aside our preconceived ideas about what they're experiencing. We may think, whether we have any real credibility to or not, we may think, oh, well, man, depression is just blah, anxiety is blah, and we think we know, well, that all you got to do is whatever. But we have these preconceived ideas about their experience, we have to set those aside and actually let them share their experience with us. We have to push pause on some of us. We have that innate desire that when somebody brings us something that we perceive as a problem, we are going to fix them, whether they want to be fixed or not. And we have to set that aside. Sometimes you reaching out means you just sit there, shut up, and listen. To be able to enter in and say, man, help me understand what you're going through. And then I say, wow, that, that's heavy. You don't have to be a licensed, now, I was, there's, there is a, absolutely a time and a place for licensed counselors, for psychologists, for psychiatrists. I'm not at all discounting that. But you don't have to be that to have an impact in somebody's life. So if you are not in the middle of it, reach in. Because whatever your mind monster is, whatever your friend or family members or coworkers' mind monsters are, there can be victory over those things. <laughs> yeah, they... They know it in next steps. They're like <laughs> getting excited. There is victory. And sometimes, man, you gotta you address the spiritual, you gotta address the physiological, the psychological. Come at it from every angle. But there is victory. The mind monsters don't have to win. you're in the middle of it, reach out. If you're outside of it, if you're not in the middle of it, reach in. Make a difference. That's one of the, one of the key things that we, we believe as a church, right, that we could be a change maker, that we can make a difference in somebody's life. Reach in. Make a difference. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to pray. Father God, thank you. Lord, that the darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. Lord, that regardless of what wages war in our minds, Lord, through you we can have victory. Lord, I pray right now for those that are in the middle of the battle, 
that just feel like their thoughts day after day, they're wrestling with these things. Lord, give them boldness. Give them the strength to reach out. Lord, to you, sure, absolutely. Lord, but to somebody around them too to say, man, hey, I just, I can't do this alone. And Lord, for those of us that aren't in the middle of it, Lord, give us discernment, give us wisdom, give us your eyes to see those around us. So as we see those that are walking through a battle, that are walking through their own personal hell right now, that we would say, man, I've got, I just got to show up, I got to love on this person. And that we would...